I don't know whether you realize it or not, but we live in a post-truth culture. What is truth? Is truth for real? Does truth exist? Whose truth are we talking about? And what is truth? Let's get real on this whole concept about truth. And you are listening to the Let's Get Real podcast with Rob Lundberg. Hey, we're going to talk about truth today. Well, let's get real about the truth. You know, one of the classic pieces of human history, or classic events, I should say, of human history, is when Jesus stood before Pilate. And when Jesus confronted, was confronted with Pilate, a little bit of the dialogue goes something like this. Pilate said to him, so you are a king. Jesus answered, you say that I'm a king. For this purpose, I was born and for this purpose, I've come into the world to bear witness to the truth. And Pilate responded after Jesus said the following in that same statement. Let me rewind. You say that I am a king. For this purpose, I was born for this purpose. I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. And everyone who is on the side of the truth listens to my voice. How did Pilate respond? What is truth? You know, folks, people are asking that question today. What is truth? Some people will actually tell you the truth does not exist. Now, we have several views in our culture today where we, where we see the nature of truth being put forth through four secular views on truth. For example, when you take agnosticism, which is basically saying that truth is not knowable, uh, William Butler Yeats, who was an agnostic, said, any man can embody truth, but he cannot know it. Unfortunately, he knew that statement or thought that statement to be true, which was a self-contradictory statement. What should you say to an agnostic? Is it true for you that truth is unknowable? And if so, how do you know that statement was true? That would be my exact statement to William Butler Yeats. Well, you know, what does it mean when we say that agnostics' uh, arguments are self-defeating? Well, you know, agnostics cannot even use their own argument without affirming the opposite. They know one thing about truth, namely that truth cannot be known. And folks, that is self-refuting, self-defeating, and it's not logical. Isaiah 45:19 says that I have not spoken in secret from somewhere in a land of darkness. I have not said to Jacob's descendants, seek me in vain. I, the Lord, speak the truth and I declare what is right. Folks, you and I can know truth, and God has not hidden truth in somewhere that you and I cannot access so that we will be seeking and groping around for it in vain. When Israel was in captivity, God told through, spoke through the prophet Jeremiah 
in a passage, Jeremiah 29, 13, he says, You seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. Blaise Pascal put it this way in his wager. He says, Belief is a wise wager. Granted that faith cannot be proved, what harm will it come to you if you gamble on its truth and it proves false? If you gain, you gain all. If you lose, you lose nothing. Wager then, without hesitation, that God exists. This is known as Pascal's wager. Even if you cannot know 100% if God exists, Pascal's purported that it is still better to assume that he does and live accordingly, for the consequences are grave if you do not, and he does exist. You know, the other thing that we have going on today is this whole thing on skepticism. You know, skeptics believe that we should doubt all truth, be skeptical about everything. Well, what should you ask a skeptic? Well, you could say something along the line of, Mr. or Ms. Skeptics, are you, are you saying that you, we should be skeptical about everything? Should we be skeptical about, skeptical about skepticism? Why is skepticism self-defeating? In the case of the skeptic, he too defeats his own argument. And if we are to be skeptical, skeptical about everything, then that includes we need to be skeptical about skepticism itself. And then there's the good old postmodernism. Postmodernism uh, says that we need to avoid the whole thing by refusing to make claims about anything. Unfortunately, we had to make a claim about that, which is not any, not just anything, it's something. Are you saying that we cannot claim that anything is true? Well, we asked that question, and we're also going and saying that we believe that statement or that question that we're asking is a truthful question. But the postmodernism says nothing. Nothing in the entire universe is true. So... What about postmodernism? Is that true too? Uh, why does postmodernism posit a dilemma? Ignoring truth does not make it go away. It just means you are just ignoring it. The sky is still blue whether you choose to acknowledge it or not. The great orator Winston Churchill once stated, The truth is un incontrovertible. Malice may attack it. Ignorance may deride it, but in the end, there it is. And then there's relativism. What is relativism? Well, folks, if you look around and listen with your ears, you hear it all over the place. There are all, they, a relativist will say that there's all sorts of truth. Everyone has their own truth. It's all relative, but, you know, what question can you ask the relativist? Well, you can ask the question to the relativist this way. Are you saying that something can be true for me, but not for you? That there is no absolute truth? Well, my question to you, Mr. or Ms. Relativist, are you absolutely sure? So why is relativism self-defeating? When the relativist states that all truth is relative. He is making an absolute statement by using the word all. Without the word all, only some truth would be relative. 
and the rest would be absolute, thereby proving that all truth is not relative. So what if you have two people and one steals from another? The victim says, hey, give it back. I think stealing is wrong. The thief goes and says to the one who has just been victimized, well, that's not my truth and walks away. Can the victim do anything about that? Well, not if he's a relativist. By turning the thief in, he would be retracting his belief that everyone else is entitled to their own truth. Linda Eleanor once stated, what you perceive, your observations, feelings, interpretations are all your truth. Your truth is important, yet it is not the truth. Marcus Aurelius once posited that everything we hear it is, an, is an opinion, not a fact. Everything we see is a perspective, not the truth. So when we deal with stuff like this, what is or what view of the nature of truth is correct if not for the previous four? Well, as Christians, and I think even if you are not a Christian, I think every one of us are absolutists and hold to a form of absolutism, whether we like it or not. Absolutum says, as absolutism says that all truth is absolute. Absolute true for everyone, everywhere, for all time. Truth does not change based on our perceptions of reality. Now, some people would ask, what about relative comparisons? For example, if in a room that it is set at 72 degrees and I say that I'm cold, but then another person says it is hot, who is correct? Since it is true that I am cold and the other person is warm or hot, is 72 degrees hot or cold? Contrary to what some may think, this is not a relative truth. The fact that I say that I am cold is true for everyone, as well as the fact that the other person says that they are warm is absolute for everyone as well. It's really important to note that truth does not change based on our perceptions of reality. Again, let me say that again. It is really important to note that truth does not change based on our perceptions of reality. It might be a reality to you, a perception might be reality to you, but is that the reality? Your perception may be different from somebody else. The truth is that at that time, the room is set for 72 degrees, and the other person thinks it's cold, and another person thinks it's hot. But one person and the other person think what they think does not make the room hot or cold or change the fact that, in fact, that the temperature is set at 72 degrees. In the Baker's Encyclopedia in Christian Apologetics, Dr. Norman Geisler states that all truth is absolute. There are no relative truths, for if something is true, then it is really true for everyone, everywhere, and for all time. Recap the nature of truth. One, we can know that truth exists, and two, the nature of truth 
is absolute. Nancy Piercy, in her book, Saving Leonardo, says it this way, Before Christians can make the case that Christianity is true, they have to clarify what they mean by truth. This is the central question I wrestled with personally as an, when I was an agnostic. When I went to the Labrie for the first time, my mind was thoroughly drenched in relativism. As a result, I had to grapple with the question of whether there was such a thing as objective truth at all before I could even consider whether Christianity was that truth. In his writings, Schaeffer insisted that the fracturing of truth is the most crucial problem facing Christianity today. Folks, that was in 2011, and it's gotten worse. Well, let's talk about the definition of truth, and let's deal with five things that truth is not. Why do I need to know what truth is not? Well, Judy Salisbury, in her book, Reasons for Faith, she warns parents about, the, about a book that came out in 2001 entitled Conversations with God for Teen by Neil Donald Walsh. And in that book, he writes... It may surprise from, be a surprise for most humans to learn that there is no such thing as right and wrong. There is only what works and what does not work, given what it is for you and what you are trying to do. Now, absolute right and wrong, he's saying, do not exist. The right, a thing is wrong only because you say it's wrong, and a thing is right for the very same reason. Now, right and wrong according to um, Walsh he says they do not exist only as a momentary assessment of what works and what does not work and of course you can make these assessments but folks you cannot defend them you can make these assessments as individuals and as a society given what you are wishing to experience and how you see things yourself in relationship to everything else that is. But folks, in the book Friendship with God, the human race, which is a new gospel, would heal the world in two sentences. We are all one. Ours is not, not a better way. Ours is merely another way. Folks, we cannot live like that. So when you deal with what the world is dealing with, as far as trying to grope for its own truth, we're finding out that we have movements today that are operating on pragmatism, comp things that cohere. We're, we're seeing things that uh, people in, in churches deal on sincerity and things that are comprehensive and things that are basically experientially or existentially relevant. And none of those things are true. And what I'm going to do now is I'm going to explain to you why these things are not the case. First off, truth is not what works. Just because what you say brings out the desired results, it does not make it true. To give you an example of this, let's talk about perjury or lying on the witness stand. You can lie to get the declared not guilty and you may be even successful in it. But even if you were set free, it does not make what you said 
on the witness stand true. Think of it this way. Just because it worked for you does not make it true. Another thing to think about here is the fact that truth is not what coheres. Just because a system of facts coheres really well, it does not make it true. For example, take for example the fairy tales or, the, or, or, or a great story. Fairy tales also tell a great story and the devices used in storytelling make for a nicely wrapped up ending. It is a system of facts that agree or they cohere very well. However, does it make the story or the fairy tale true? Well, no, it doesn't. Only if it's corresponding to reality. And of course, we know fairy tales don't correspond to reality. I'll get to that a little bit later. But see, you can remember it this way. Even though Cinderella got her fella because she lost her shoe, it does not make the story true. Now, thirdly, truth is not about good intentions or sincerity. You can be have good intentions about your 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 eternal destiny. You could be sincere, but you can your good intentions may not be based on the truth. You can be sincerely even wrong. A person can have the best intentions and completely be sincere, but that does not make their statement or their action or their decisions true. An example of this would be Islamic Jihad or Japanese kamikaze pilots. Oscar Wilde, of all people, once said that a thing is not necessarily true because a man dies for it. He said that in 1889. Of course, we're in now 2020, and that statement is still corresponding to reality. A person can be sincere and wrong at the same time, and the Quran is not the word of God, and you will not gain paradise by dying in an act of jihad. That belief is false. Even though the people that sincerely believe it are willing to die for it. Remember it this way. Just because your actions are without wax, it does not mean they line up with the facts. You know, some people believe that back in the day when people repaired marble statues that had a piece break off, sometimes they would replace the missing piece with molded wax because it was much easier than using marble. A statue that was original without any wax replacements was considered sincere. Regardless if this is true in its origin, the word sincere will still help you and I remember the saying just because the act your actions are without wax it doesn't mean they line up with the facts number four truth is not what is comprehensive again dr norman geisler stated that not long-winded not all long-winded presentations are true and concise ones they're not all of them are are false but not all of them are true just because an idea or a worldview seems to have an explanation that fits most of the data, it does not make it true. There are some really in-depth worldviews that are out there today that seem to have all the relevant answers, yet they are deceptively false. And you can remember it this way, just because something is complete does not make it good to eat. And then 
also, uh, fifthly and lastly here on this part, truth is not what is, is not, was existentially relevant. What, I, what do I mean by this? Well, this means that truth is only that which is relevant to our existence or life. If it is not relevant to life, then it must be false. Well, folks, this cannot be the case because truths like math and logic are true, but not necessarily relevant to our specific physical existence. We could still exist and live even if we did not know that 2 plus 2 equals 4. Now, um, Dr. Geisler had these, you know, these little pithy um, statements that were that a way that you can remember it and I, the last one here is really cute too i've gone and concluded each of the points in case you haven't figured that out yet uh, these are all from dr norm geisler what we need for life is not all that is true for we know that one plus one does equal two not four not eleven but two okay so nope there's another one here um, I forgot this one because this is very, very important because there are religions out there, particularly the Mormon church that operates on feelings for determining truth. And truth is not, number six, what feels good. The newest wave of pop Christianity is that a sweep in America is that truth is that which is comfortable. Rob Bell purports in his latest book, There Is No Hell, why do churches avoid difficult topics? The Bible is clear in many areas that there is a hell. Jesus was against homosexuality and not all religions are the same. Popular preachers do not touch these subjects because they don't want to make people feel bad. Well, guess what? Truth does hurt sometimes. And folks, sometimes bad news is often true. It is a fact that you and I live in a fallen world and that sometimes that which is true does not feel good. And if truth was always good, no one would ever lie. But we know that that is not the case. Just because something gives you a quiver in your liver or a burning in your bosom, like what the Mormons had say, it does not make it truth. Feelings are subjective and they can lie. This is why it is incredibly important to be anchored in the absolute truth of Scripture so that you and I will not be tossed to and fro in the sea of subjective feelings. Remember it this way. Just because something gives you delight does not always make it right. You know, as we get close to wrapping up our show today, let me just share with you some things with regards to what truth is. You know, William Faulkner stated that truth and facts don't always have much to do with each other. Is that true? Well, Faulkner is wrong. No, that is not true. In the dictionary, truth is correctly defined as that which corresponds to reality or that which conforms to the facts. As statement, as a statement needs to line up with reality or with the way things are in order to be considered the truth. For example, the claim, I have gray hair, is true and can be verified by reality. I really do have gray hair. And it would be false for me to say that I have blonde hair because it does not line up with the facts. 
And for the record, it is a true statement. To it will fulfill the above criteria. It will um, work. It will cohere. And it will be existentially relevant. And it will be comprehensive. But, folks, it must correspond to reality for it to be concluded to be true. You know, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 through 14, I'm just going to read some fragments of this. But God has revealed them to us through his Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but of the Spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us. The natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. And folks, our gospel has not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and in much assurance. My friends, the Bible does state that all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction of righteousness, that the man or woman of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Now, the question then is now, when Paul wrote this in the early 60s, mid-60s AD, did he mean all scripture? But what about those bits of Old Testament that do not seem to line up with us today? Should we consider those verses as absolute truth? And folks, this is where your inductive Bible study comes in. First, you must understand the context of the passage. Is it historical narrative, which is descriptive and not prescriptive? This means that it simply describes what happened back then, but it is not God's prescription for behavior. And in, in that case, yes, it is truth and that it really happened, but it is not where you and I should be pulling our ethical morals from. The context is key, and context will determine how you read a passage, Just and it's being just as important as reading any type of literature. So how does the truth of the Bible affect you and I today? Well, we know that God's word is eternal, and we know that from the grass withers, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of God stands forever. Isaiah 40 and verse 8. And having been born from above or born again, um, that's the word Greek word ananothen, being born anew by the Spirit of God, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible, through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. And Jesus says in Matthew 5:18, for, for assuredly I say to you, heaven and earth will pass away. One jot or one tittle, a tiny mark in the original spelling of a word, will by no means pass away from the law till all is fulfilled. And then in Luke chapter 16, verse 17, and it is easier for heaven and earth to pass away for one tittle of the law to fail. You know, you and I live in a fallen world. You and I live in a world today that needs to know the truth exists. So is this how Jesus, you know, we opened up with our show with Jesus standing before Pilate. Is this how Jesus answered Pilate? No, because earlier Jesus had already defined truth for his listeners when he said, I am the way and the truth 
and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through me. What is the answer to Pilate's question? Jesus. John chapter 1 and verse 14, and alongside John 1, 1, John 1, 1 says, In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. And verse 14 says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld him in all his glory, full of grace and truth. Folks, if Jesus is the source of truth, and Jesus is the Word made flesh, and the Word is God, and then God is the source and the founder and reflecting of all truth. He is the reality that truth must conform to, but truth being invisible, absolute, and unchanging is our characteristics of a God who created you and I in his image and his likeness. You've been listening to the Let's Get Real podcast with Rob Lundberg. Thank you for tuning in. We've talked about truth. We've talked about what truth is not. And we talked about the fact that truth must correspond to reality. If you have any questions, please let us know. You can reach us by emailing us at realissueapologetics at yahoo.com. You've been listening to the Let's Get Real podcast uh, with Rob Lundberg. We'll be back with you next week is Labor Day weekend. We'll be back with you with another show. And of course, we record these on Sunday and we get them out. So you'll be able to be able to share these with your friends as you go out through the work week. I, I pray this, this show has spoken to you today. The fact that we've talked about what truth is, the fact it corresponds to reality, and the fact that we talked about things, six things that it wasn't, and we've all pointed to the fact that truth points to the one who is the source of all truth and who is truth. And that is Jesus was God in human flesh. And God has the attributes of invisible, unchanging, and absolute. Thank you for being with us this week. As you go out this week, go out and give them heaven. And we'll be back with you next week. Lord bless.